Hey everyone, it's Father Pat, here today to offer you my reflections on the scripture readings for today. Our readings for today are from the second Sunday of Easter. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions and divide them among all according to each one's need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple area and to breaking bread in their homes. They ate their meals with exaltation and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our response. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love is everlasting. Let the house of Israel say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love is everlasting. I was hard-pressed and was falling, but the Lord helped me. My strength and my courage is the Lord, and he has been my Savior. The joyful shout of victory in the tents of the just. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are safeguarded through faith, to a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the final time. In this you rejoice, although now for a little while you may have to suffer through various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that is perishable even though tested by fire, may prove to be for praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, yet believe in him. You rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, 
and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One of the best parts of Easter, other than peanut butter-filled chocolate eggs, which I covered last week, are peeps. If you don't know what peeps are, well, I just feel sorry for you. They are marshmallow candies coated in yet more sugar and usually shaped as chicks, therefore peeps, or bunnies. In addition to just being great for Easter baskets, there are peeps eating contests, multiple peep-based recipes, and even a competition in which participants create a diorama of a culturally important scene from the modern era using peeps. All that seems like a waste of good peeps to me, though. They taste too good to be involved in such serious endeavors. Peeps are produced by a Bethlehem, Pennsylvania company called Just Born. The business was founded in 1923 by a Russian Jewish immigrant by the name of Sam Born, that's Just Born, who before starting his own company was famous for inventing a machine to automate the insertion of sticks into lollipops. Sanborn is also created with inventing chocolate sprinkles, uh, known to Pennsylvanians as Jimmy's, and the chocolate coating used in ice, ice cream bars. So he's pretty much a pioneer. I mean, uh, you know, so we're, we, have a low, we owe a lot to Sam Bourne. Just Bourne began making peeps after buying the original manufacturer of those treats in 1953, widening the distribution significantly by mechanizing the process of making them. Prior to that, peeps were actually formed by hand. So you might say peeps were just born again, entirely appropriate for a candy associated primarily with Easter and produced by a family-owned enterprise founded by a Russian Jew. You can't make this stuff up. Which brings me finally to the burning question for today. Are you, like any self-respecting peep, just born again? The phrase born again often brings to mind a dynamic, lightly perspiring 70s television evangelist and his or her rabid fans. People who openly call themselves born again usually notice that others avoid them at social gatherings. They have encountered Jesus, and they want you to know it, along with every other suggestion they have for you to change your life. Not even giving away peeps makes them attractive conversation partners. So while I can understand you not wanting to be called born again because of the image it suggests, being just born again is a different story, because our second reading for this eighth day of Easter makes it pretty clear that being reborn is not optional for a disciple of Christ when we hear, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy, on this Divine Mercy Sunday, gave us a new birth to a living hope, gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This Easter mystery in the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus leads us, or should lead us, to a new birth, to be born again. The first letter of Peter was likely written or preached to those who were about to be baptized or those recently baptized. In other words, those who are just born again. While the author speaks candidly of the dangers and challenges the people will face, 
This new life has a glorious end, the salvation of your souls. But what does that mean to be just born again? During the Easter season, our first readings are from the Acts of the Apostles, which is really an extension or second volume of Luke's Gospel. The first volume could be called the Acts of Jesus, in that it includes all of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the second volume is the sequel, in which the disciples of Jesus establish a church according to what the Lord instructs them to do. Today's first reading immediately follows the day of Pentecost and describes life in the earliest Christian communities. If you heard about this community outside of the Bible, you'd likely label it a commune, and you wouldn't mean that as a compliment. It kind of sounds like a cult, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine ever, ever, ever selling all your possessions and living in a community with a bunch of other like-minded people, just trusting everyone to live in a spirit of kumbaya? But putting the whole quasi-Marxist economic model aside for a minute, I also think it's interesting how community life is described. Uh, the, the, the reading tells us, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and the communal life, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers, and to the prayers. There are two balanced couplets here. The teaching of the first is the teaching of the apostles and the communal life. The teaching of the apostles meaning the religion, the faith, and the communal life meaning day-to-day living. And then the second couplet is the breaking of the bread and the prayers. The breaking of the bread at that point in um, in the church was a communal meal that's described as separate from uh, worship in, in verse 46 of chapter 2. In Acts, in other words, when, when they talk about the breaking of the bread, there they're, they're not necessarily referring to the Eucharist, the Eucharistic celebration. They're talking about a, a communal meal, um, and then on the other side, the breaking of the bread and the prayer. So again, communal life and the life of worship. The community is one, both in worship and in daily life. They don't go to mass and then scatter for the rest of the week. You live with the same people you worship with. It's two parts of a unified whole. You pray what you live, and you live what you pray, and you hold each other accountable for it. There is no I, there's only we, living in communion as one body in Christ. It's fair to say we've been very successful, or maybe we should say unsuccessful, in compartmentalizing our lives. In modern practice, the breaking of the bread is a liturgical act. It's the celebration of the Eucharist. And while we profess Christ's real presence at that liturgical celebration— We live our daily lives as though that very Eucharistic meal was only symbolic. We don't live a communal life in the church. Heck, we almost make a mockery of it. It's bishops versus priests these days and priests versus laity. One ministry jockeying for for meeting space or parish resources against another. Everyone has an agenda, but it's not a common agenda. And what's the result? In the first three centuries of the church, the Christian community grew by hundreds of percentage points every year in the midst of sometimes intense persecution. Today, 2023, we fudge the numbers and count people who haven't seen the inside of a church for decades just to convince ourselves that we're not shrinking. So what's missing? How can we reignite the irresistible attraction of the Church of Jesus Christ? How do we become one body again? Well, how did Jesus do it? It began on Easter night in the upper room. And look who we have to work with. Peter, who had vowed to go to the cross with Jesus, and instead denied him three times. Thomas, who at one point vowed to die with him also, refuses to have faith in the resurrection, instead demanding scientific proof. The one whom Jesus loved is also presumably there, but he has gone back into hiding even after seeing the empty tomb. Frankly, 
This is not an inspiring bunch. But Jesus shows up and extends his hands to them in friendship and peace, despite their abandonment, and then breathes on them. I hope he didn't have bad breath. It would have been a pretty rough three days for him. But he breathes on them. What's that all about? Remember what? Uh, remember the second chapter of Genesis, the second creation account. We hear the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. He breathed on them. We hear in the prophet Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water over you to make you clean from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you so that you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, and keep them. So in the beginning, the Lord breathed into us the breath of life, and he promises through the prophet Ezekiel to do it again. And on Easter night, that promise is fulfilled. Jesus breathes his own spirit into them. The disciples gathered there are just born again. And so empowered that way, the disciples now have to do what they are reborn to do, which is what? Jesus tells them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Those words are often used as a proof text for the sacrament of reconciliation, and reasonably so. But I also perceive another layer to those words. If the disciples forgive, those who are forgiven are empowered to throw off the chains of sin that once bound them. But if the disciples do not forgive, those denied forgiveness will remain in captivity. On this Sunday of divine mercy, grounded in the message of mercy given by the Lord to St. Faustina in the early part of the 20th century, we who are reborn are challenged to become missionaries of mercy to the world. Just born again through God's mercy ourselves, so we must not only preach, but model that mercy to others. The timing of the locutions to St. Faustina is interesting in retrospect. Between two world wars, that's when the Lord spoke to St. Faustina, between two world wars, the deadliest wars in human history, just prior to the Holocaust and the purges of Stalin, Mao Zedong, and Pol Pot, tens of millions of innocents dead. In anticipation of the invention of nuclear weapons, the deadliest instrument of aggression and revenge the world has ever known. And what does Jesus tell us? What spirit does the Lord breathe into us? Mercy, mercy, mercy. In this unforgiving world, in this cancel culture, in this brutal civilization, we have to not only embrace our re own rebirth, but breathe that same spirit of mercy onto and into those we meet. That's how the church becomes a true community and one body in Christ again. That's how the church becomes irresistible to those who don't know Jesus and begins to grow again by leaps and bounds. That's how the church and the world is saved. Mercy, mercy, mercy. If this Easter, you and I will be just born again. And it helps, by the way, to have a healthy supply of peeps around too, because sugar is always a draw. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Happy Easter, and say a prayer for me. <laughs>